0: You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Hey, this is Flipping Tables, episode number 68. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. And I'm your other host, Michael Edwards. And uh, I have some like... This is kind of weird, like self follow up, but I'm, I'm going to go for it anyway. And uh, I'm pretty sure you can't help me with this, but I want you to dig down deep into your nerd knowledge and, and try and find something for me. Like I have now for work an iPad, which runs iOS, of course, and I have a Moto X, which is angrily still not running the latest version of Android, <laughs> Um. But I've noticed if they're near each other or, you know, I can hear both of them go off at the same time. If I get like an email or something, it makes noise on the iPad like a full two seconds or more <laughs> before the Moto X goes off. And I just I have noticed this. It's not just one app like this is Twitter. This is email. This is Gmail. This is calendar notifications, which seems impossible. Like there's just across the board earlier notifications. And then I thought, like, oh, well, it's just a quirk of Android or something. But then I just recently got a new phone, also for work, which is uh, Galaxy S6. And its updates are, like, delayed, but by, like, milliseconds. Like, they're so much closer, and I don't understand why.
1: <laughs> um, I just remember feeling this pain on desktops. Um, so, like, I'd have the official Outlook app, and it would be, like, 10 seconds late, and my phone would just be like, bing, and then I'd look at my computer and like five or 10 seconds later, I'd finally get the email.
0: Yeah, I, di- I distinctly remember that driving me crazy. Yeah,
1: if you're working on your computer, you're like, well, I'm going to keep using this full-size keyboard, but now I have to wait like an animal for this email <laughs> to show up, and then I can finally start typing.
0: Well, and the, the thing is, because then it kind of reduces your phone to like like an order-ready bell. You know, like you're sitting there and you're like, Oh, it's okay. My phone has notified me that my computer should have notified me of something just now. And, yeah. you, and I, I remember sometimes like reaching out and I fortunately I've started to break these habits cause it's not good to just be a slave to your device. But I have, uh, I did it one time. Like I would reach out and like wake my phone and see the little email notification. And then I was like, okay, it's an email. And then like you switched outlook and you wait And then eventually it updates and you're like, okay, my email's here.
1: I mean, why is it so much lazier on a desktop where you have, you know, 10 times the amount of wattage and, like, the processor power to, like, you could keep these things open. You assume on desktop you're on Wi-Fi or or Ethernet. Like, there's no zero engineering concern about making it as fast as possible. Am I right?
0: It's certainly less. I mean, if an iPad or an iPhone is able to ping servers a billion times a second (laughs) and not kill the battery, you would think a full-size laptop or even a plugged-in desktop with wired network and wired power would just be like, yeah, I'll just ping things constantly. I'll never stop pinging things. (laughs) CDOS. Come on, Outlook, where's my damn email? Um, And so speaking of my S6, um, some of you may have seen me complain on Twitter that... uh, Battery life was not super impressive, and that bummed me out. Because if you haven't seen this phone, I'll, I'll throw a picture of it in the show notes. If you haven't seen this phone, just look at an iPhone six, and it's that, <laughs> <laughs> but it says Samsung on it. And uh I love it. I mean, it's 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 a, a nice form factor. It's mostly screen, which is what I want out of a, a mobile phone. I don't want you know a huge bezel all the way around. But the important thing, really, the only thing that matters, is not the stupid camera jutting out, which makes it awkward to lay down because I feel like I'm bashing the lens into yeah. a table surface. Um, it's not the the ripoff design. It's not any of that. It's the fact that it has the fingerprint reader that works just like the one on the iPhone 6 and the newer iPads, and I am already, like, <laughs> a 1,000% addicted because before I had it on my iPad, but I took out my phone a lot, so I still, like, kind of had one foot in both worlds, now I'm done forever. <laughs> <laughs> like, the only thing keeping me from throwing my laptop across the room when I have to wake it is the fact that I have a full-size keyboard and I can type really fast. Right. Like if, if I had to, you know, log into my, my MacBook with a glass screen, I would just, I wouldn't use it. I would feel like I'm done with full-size computers. So you don't want to buy a Surface. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> that is for, yes, the list is many, um, but that is definitely on there. How do you, are you still using that thing or is it just collecting dust? It's it's mostly collecting dust. Yeah, I had a feeling.
1: But Well, it, uh, well I borrowed know. a drawing tablet from person at work and it's got, you know, two thousand forty eight levels of pressure sensitivity. And so like if I'm doing drawing stuff, I'm like, Yeah, the surface has like a tenth of that, so maybe I won't use that to draw.
0: Yeah. Let's not get into Microsoft crapping on too early here. Okay. You're right, you're right. <laughs> so I actually um, think they're not in our rundown, so let's try not <laughs> that's
1: true. make that a significant part of the show. So um, take us into the show.
0: So I uh I found this crazy thing called the Aria and Aria this, Stark? Exactly like Aria Stark, but with fewer needle swords. So um the, this device in and of itself is not that important to me, but it's what it represents that's important to me. So here's what it is. You clip this thing. It's it's about the size of, like, half of a, a watch strap, and you clip it onto your Android Wear watch strap, and then it lets you uh, do, like, a crazy finger puppet show, and that's how you can control your watch. So... <laughs> Okay. First, I guess before we get into the broader topic, if you, if you watch the video of this in the show notes or if, you, or if you there's an animated GIF at the top of the article that really sends the message home because <laughs> it just looks like this person is suffering from like terrible tremors or like they're trying to get cobwebs off their hand. Like you ever <laughs> walk out of your apartment and you like go between two bushes and then you're like, ah, cobwebs. Well,
1: I always think of in the the sewer level of the Turtles arcade game, when you fight Baxter Stockman, the mousers get caught on your hand and then you fling your hands to get them off.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's just, uh, I can't imagine doing this in public. Now, there's a lot of things like, you know, talking on a Bluetooth headset or asking your phone to search for something or tell you the weather. Like, there's a lot of crazy um, things like t- five, 10 years ago, we would have said like, no, no one will ever do that in public. You'd be embarrassed. But then, you know, we changed, we adapted, but this doesn't <laughs> seem to have a lot of utility to me. Like I, I would rather just talk to my watch. Like I'd rather just, yeah. I'm not going to say it out loud. Cause I don't want to wake my phone up. But I would rather just look at my watch and say like, hello, watch, yeah. um, please, you know, mm. play the next podcast in my queue, or please show me my next calendar appointment. Like, The little finger dance seems weird and not that, like if you were in a meeting and you're looking down at your wrist and like fiddling your fingers around, like you're trying to get honey off of them, I don't think it would be very inconspicuous. So just
1: to, for those who haven't already gone to the show notes to watch this video, just like it it looks like you do like a full five finger flick to like activate the menu. It looks like. And then you, like, flick your thumb away from your index finger to, like, go down. And then there's some other yeah, gesture it, to, like... It
0: looks almost like he's tapping his thumb and index finger together. Yeah. So I should say the way this works is the thing you clip onto the strap, it's, like, reading the the response of your tendons in your wrist. So, I mean, th- this is a very, like, tactile... Like, it's not, like, bioelectric. Like, it's it's just yeah. detecting, like, which tendons are, are flicking about. Um So, I mean, it's a neat bit of technology. I just, uh, I don't want to do this.
1: (laughs) It seems like maybe someone will figure out a cool way to use that sensor technology. Like maybe a future smartwatch band will just naturally read your tendons and then you can do things maybe with a more subtle, like not like a full-on, like you're taking an international flight and they're telling you to exercise your fingers so you stay (laughs) like stretched out and... (laughs) I don't know like I like they of course they have a guy in Starbucks and he has a Starbucks cup in his other hand and then he's like flicking his hands like a crazy person and I'm like no this is not like yeah like you were saying like we've gotten we've culturally accepted a lot of things you might have wondered about but I don't see people getting used to this
0: and this, so I you're a nerd in a lot of ways but I don't think you know much about D&D So I will tell you, (laughs) I will tell you very briefly that the, the dark elves in uh, this one series of novels, they have, um, this, like, it's like sign language, but it's done with super intricate motions of the fingers. And the thing that's significant about it is it's like so difficult that like a human couldn't possibly do it. Like only elves are dexterous enough to do it. And I'm Really, if I had any, if anyone was questioning my geek cred, I'm probably way overdoing it right now. But, um, if it was something that subtle where like, it was just barely tiny little twitches of the fingers, like then, okay, I could see that being useful. But my issue with this is I, and this has come up before with other goofy gesture things we've talked about. Like I talk with my hands a lot, like I would be setting this thing off constantly, so, what do I do? Am I just not like part of their target market because I talk with my hands? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's goofy. The video, I have to say, they, they kept it pretty, uh, pretty terse. I don't think this is something that's totally ready for prime time. Um, but you're definitely right about the sensors. Like, there's probably cool medical applications for this or other applications beyond controlling a watch. But I did hear someone say uh, something interesting, which is, a, a wearable device, particularly like a watch that's on your wrist, is a two-handed device because you can't interact with it with the hand of the wrist it's on. Yeah. So it's like you, you know, your people talk about like, oh, I don't want a big phone because then I have to use it with two hands. It's like, but if you want a smartwatch, you're committing to using that device with two hands, even though the screen is itty bitty.
1: The the caveat to that is voice control. You can do a lot of things if you know what to say. And then the other thing is uh, in my grocery store fantasy, it's still something you don't have to put away. So, yeah, I have to use two hands to interact with it. But then when I'm done, I can immediately grab something and do whatever I need to do.
0: Yeah, and there is something to be said for like, yes, it's taking up both of your hands, but only it's sort of only like one and a half hands. Because you can physically use your hand that the watch is on to like grab things, and that's Whereas when it- you stab yourself in the chest. <laughs> <laughs> exactly like that. So, but the the broader topic that I'm really interested here is uh, this concept of like a smart strap, which is something Pebble uh, with their when they announced the Pebble Time, like very shortly after they announced uh, smart straps, and it's the general concept is you can put. Little computing modules into the strap, and then attach them to the pebble, and thereby augment the pebble's superpowers. So there's obvious things like all kinds of fitness sensors um, and NFC modules. So you could use it to like do NFC pairing and like log into your Wi-Fi and whatever like that. Um, but then there's, I mean, you could do all kinds of nonsense with this. Like one guy, um, the do you, do you remember the company SparkFun? They're up in like the Boulder area. No. Okay. They, they make like small electronics and, and like kits and like they do workshops for people who want to like get into the maker community specifically with oh, electronics and all that. Yeah. All, all that kind of stuff. Um, but all specifically electronics maker stuff, uh, very focused. And uh, in one afternoon, one of their guys like hacked together this crazy um, cell radio. So he was just like what if your Pebble didn't need to be connected to your phone and it just had its own cell radio? So he just made one that would fit in a watch band. And I mean, it's 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 a prototype. It's ugly and it's not something they would ever sell because that's not their business. But he was just proving like this really is that simple. And I wonder like are – do you see wearables like going – watches specifically, like do you see this market going anywhere? Like do you feel like you're – Uh, your Apple Watch would be more useful if the band was just full of battery? Or do you want to put sensors in there?
1: My main concern, and I guess this doesn't have to be a big concern, is I just don't want these things to be heavy. And I think they're at a good weight right now. Like I don't really think about the weight of the Apple Watch. But I wouldn't want... And I guess that's also another part that can fail. And uh, Apple Watch bands already cost a lot. It's 50 bucks for a sports band. The Flastomer sports, yeah, and it just goes up from there. Like their leather ones are like 150 bucks, and you're just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I could imagine having NFC and all this other stuff in the band would be like, these are expensive bands, and now are they waterproof? And um, do I have to worry about them if I bang my arm? Like. My phone, I can put in a big, you know, giant case, and like even if I have a good watch, I don't even have to take it out as much, and I'm not as worried about it. But this thing on my wrist, I'm gonna bang, all, I'm gonna bang all sorts of things with it
0: accidentally, all the time, on purpose too. But yeah. <laughs> well, you know, is my father always wore his wristwatch like face down? Yeah, so which does mine. Yeah, that that was like a generational thing, and I. Because I used to wear a watch quite regularly and I was never able to get into that. Even with the thinnest, lightest watches I ever owned, I could not get into, every time I put my hand down, I just smashed the face into the <laughs> tabletop. Yeah. I never broke a watch, but I it, like, it made me timid. I had to think about it and I didn't want to think about it. Well,
1: Samsung also did some smart band stuff because on their first Galaxy Gear, wasn't the camera in the band or something like that? Um, they had some it, tech in the band. It wasn't just the the, the watch part mm, of it.
0: I I do not recall. I remember that one of the ones that had a camera. It was on the watch, but the watch face was like huge. Like it. Yeah. It what would have long before become the strap on a normal watch was still watch face on on one of them. Yeah. Because it just went like halfway around your wrist. I don't feel and, like
1: I can make a lot of predictions on smart bands and the future of these wearables. I'd say broadly, I think the smart watches are here to stay. They're gonna they're gonna succeed. Whether or not they will be as broadly adopted as phones, hard to say. Probably not, or at least probably not for a long time. But I think the category works. I think it'll it'll be kind of your hub for the smart home and the smart
0: everything, the the smear of tech, but <laughs> <laughs> Well, and to your point about it, like one of the immediate problems is waterproofing because I think is the Apple Watch rated down to like ten meters or a meter or something? Uh,
1: I think it's I don't remember how many meters, but people have swum, swum, swam, <laughs> have Sw- swam um, <laughs> many, many laps underwater with it. That people have showered with it. I've showered with it a couple of times. Yeah.
0: So all the basic stuff. It's you like would do. good
1: enough that I don't worry about it if I'm going to do deep scuba diving probably not going to wear it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's good that you're you're thoughtful about that, but that's the thing is Pebble was they were very upfront that the connector for the smart strap is not waterproof. So, you have this awesome watch that's intelligently sealed and and you know, can function in a normal range of environments and then it's like, "Oh, but if you want to use a smart strap, you've basically turned it into a, you know, a fragile electronic again."
1: Yeah. So it just it increases the complexity, so we'll just have to see if anyone can find the compelling use case.
0: Yeah, and I hadn't even, when you said weight, I was like, oh, I didn't even think about the weight of it. Because like the, the pebble that I was wearing was plastic, so it was very lightweight, like even lighter than most of the watches that I've owned. And I've owned a couple of large watches that I got used to it after a while, but you always knew you had it on. Like right. you know, if you reached out for a doorknob or you went to pick something up or raise a, a water glass, you were like, Oh right, I have this big ass heavy watch on. <laughs> and it wasn't like it didn't deter me from wearing it, but you knew it was there.
1: Yeah, it couldn't disappear.
0: Yeah. I think uh one last thing to your 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 intelligent point about like the adoption rate of uh of smartwatches. I think because it's an extension of the smartphone it, you have to like cross a certain threshold of using your smartphone before you would want to extend that platform. So someone who's perfectly happy checking Facebook on their, you know, free on contract, you know, bottom of the basement, like Nokia or uh, or Android phone, like they probably don't really care about adding another device into their life because all of their needs are being met.
1: Yeah. So what's your over-under on... Watches being independent from smartphones, how many years?
0: Years, I would say um, functionally independent like next year, um, but usefully independent several years, like yeah. close like, to like 2020.
1: Data plans, full Wi-Fi, which some of them already have. Well, that's the there's thing actually is that- a, a f- at least one smartwatch that has a, its own data plan
0: there are there there's a at least one samsung i know of and i think one of the sony ones have 3g radios and they can operate completely solo but the it's the interface and the the features are just not really there right like i i ran into a guy um not that long ago that had one so i got to like kind of quiz him about it a little bit and i was like do you ever make calls on it do you really leave your phone at home and he gave kind of the answers you would expect, which are like, you know, yeah, if I'm going to walk the dog, I'll leave my phone at home. So I'm disconnected by convenience, not by the fact that I'm actually disconnected. So yeah. it's like, if you know, if my spouse needs to call me in an emergency, they can still get a hold of me because it does make phone calls. But no, I wouldn't, you know, ride to work with my wrist against my ear, like yeah. taking a long phone call. So it's kind of like, it's yes, the technology is technically available, but I feel like it hasn't Arrived. See, that's something
1: I'm going to really look forward to. Is when I can leave my my phone at home, and I get that. Like, I think, I think the smartphone is going to be a really stable centerpiece for the foreseeable future as like the actual hub device. I mean, the cloud will have all our stuff, but like the the device that's like mainly controls everything, and you kind of reach for it when you need to do something. But I would love to you know have those days where i go oh shit i left my phone at home actually i'm good
0: and that's not the case right now no <laughs> not even a little bit in fact i'm currently uh with this new phone i'm in this crazy hopefully by the time this airs it's will be fixed uh but i'm embroiled in this crazy phone number porting issue that people may have seen me complaining about on twitter and uh Everybody, everyone I've spoken to swears they really want to help me and they really want to get this problem solved. And I just don't understand what the damn problem is. Like, I don't know enough about the technology to tell them they're just damn liars, but I don't understand why porting a phone number would take more than the time it has just taken me to explain what I want, port my phone number. So I'm living two phone life right now. Thank God I use Google voice for almost everything. So it's like phone and a half life. There's another 1.5 analogy for you, but it's it's not great cuz my other phone is still sitting plugged in yeah. charging so that I can use it. Living with
1: two phones is kind of like living with two laptops, especially before cloud syncing stuff.
0: Yeah,
1: Just it's like, not not good. <laughs> wait, which one did I create that doc on?
0: Oh. <laughs> I didn't want to think about it. Tell me about this Netflix TV thing.
1: Yeah, so um, Netflix has some new certification thing where they will mark a TV as Netflix recommended. And so there there's this uh, Verge article about it um, where they actually went into the labs where they test these TVs. And so Netflix is looking for all sorts of metrics, and most of them would be good for anyone and not just good for Netflix. But So for example, launching an app on your TV, how fast? Um more importantly like when you hop around like if you decide to check some live channel before hopping back to your Netflix video how long does it take to do that and then uh just uh, like say you choose a show how quickly does it start streaming and uh so These are some of the things that Netflix cares about. Um, some of them are very Netflix centric, like does your remote have a Netflix button? Does your, you know, is the Netflix? How how is
0: that Netflix centric?
1: (laughs) Does the, the app center of your TV have a Netflix, you know? app really prominently displayed, that I can shove aside. I don't care about that because, I mean, I do if I want to watch Netflix, but I can understand that that's for Netflix's benefit. And then some other features like, is your TV turn on pretty instantly? And uh, is there a, a good robust software update functionality so that you can keep updating Netflix and not be stuck with an old version? And uh, so what Netflix does is they... You know, they grab LG, Panasonic, Sony, and all sorts of other TV companies, and uh, they they run these TVs through the ringer. And apparently, like, the the manufacturers aren't handing these TVs to Netflix. They are, like, actually going to Best Buy and just
0: buying them and then trying them out. Which I kind of respect that, (laughs) like... This is obviously an initiative they came up with and they're taking upon themselves to research. They weren't like, Hey, Sony, Samsung, can you guys send us some TVs? That'd be cool.
1: Yeah. And I could definitely see some cord cutters like wanting to look at a list of like, oh yeah, if you do a lot of Netflixing, this TV is like super fast. Like you turn on and instantly into a video, like Anything to reduce that pain because right now it is kind of painful. I have a you know a TV from 2008 because you don't buy TVs that often unless you're a weird person. No, it's a lot more
0: like an appliance.
1: And uh, so when I my TV doesn't have apps, it doesn't have Netflix built in. Um, it was just like a year or two before that kind of became a thing. And uh, so I have to rely on one of the you know ten different boxes attached to my TV that can stream Netflix. And so usually I'm using either the PS4 or my Apple TV and. Um it's definitely probably like, you know, a horrible first world problem, like 10 or 15 seconds before I can get into a video. <laughs>
0: but, well, and that so so you mentioned like the kinds of features they're testing, and the one that matters to me is how fast does it switch between inputs? That's really all I care about. Yeah. Because modern TV, any kind of flat screen TV. Or flat panel, I should say. Um, they're gonna turn on damn near instantly, and you know that. And you only have to do that once. Like you turn it on, and then it's on for the amount of time you're watching it. My issue is like with the TV I have right now. I love it. It's a really, it's a beautiful picture. It's a nice television. It's a sharp. I think my issue is you cannot go to an input that doesn't have active input. Which at first I thought was really clever, but. <laughs> <laughs> That means if you want to like turn the PlayStation on, you have to turn the PlayStation on first and then it lets you switch to that yeah. input. And there's like a just a tiny delay.
1: So a little extra detail on that. I, I don't know if the PS3 can do this. I it, presumably it can. The PS4 can be set up as a smart HDMI device. So when I turn my PS4 on, it turns my TV on and vice versa. If I switch to its input on
0: my TV, it turns the PS4 on. So I think. Well, there's two parts to that. One, I'm pretty sure I remember them announcing that as a feature of the PS4, so I don't think the PS three does that. I mean you gotta remember, it's like an eleven year old device now. Whoa. It's even older than your television. Whoa. And <laughs> and uh on top of it, I think the TV like it's not just HDMI, it's like HDMI slash like MSL or MTL or something like there's some other protocol that lets it send that turn on, turn off signal. And the only reason I'm passingly familiar with that is because the Chromecast specifically supports that, and I've never been able to get it to work with my TV. I don't know. I mean, it's very possible it's just something I'm doing wrong, but I, I don't. I don't think it just works anywhere HDMI works. Okay, it should. It's neat. Um but yeah my TV
1: is pretty slow at switching inputs even for the live like n- not the inputs that aren't having any input right now like it it's really frustratingly slow the even just the the up and down arrows on my TV controller just feel laggy it's like using a 2008 smartphone and like ah come on scroll
0: <laughs> which is weird cuz so i i had to travel a lot recently and being in hotels You know, like back to back, you start to notice like little uh, weird quirky things that are like, oh, this isn't a home. This is a hotel. And all hotel TVs use like weird hotel smart TV software like that you only ever see in hotels. Yeah. And for some reason, they all change channels so goddamn (laughs) slow. And I'm just talking like you have regular TV on. It's already on. This isn't like a box. It's not a device. It's just regular television. And you're just pressing like the up or down channel button, and there's a full (laughs) two or three seconds in between, like when you press the button and when something different is playing on the television. You ever have
1: like the slow build? Like it'll show the overlay, and then you hear the sound. Yeah, it tells you. Then the video shows
0: (laughs) what the channel is, what the name of the program is, and then it's like you hear the dialogue, and then yes, it's. And this is, I mean, again, like this is just the first worldiest of problems, but it's just. It's annoying like it it would be so much less annoying if it just behaved like a normal cable television and yeah. I do, maybe cuz it's satellite maybe a lot of hotels are using like direct tv and stuff so that's why there's a delay
1: I don't know it reminds me of like some Like PC games, when you have like an underpowered PC and like the the cinematic starts, but the textures aren't loaded and like all the the polygonal models aren't loaded and like just like it just slowly becomes more and more detailed. So it starts out like this Frankenstein and then suddenly I'm detailed.
0: Or when you have Assassin's Creed
1: 3 and none of the faces
0: (laughs) load and everyone is a terrifying monster.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So. Um So far, I think this Netflix thing is pretty benign, probably really useful information if you love Netflix. And I do. Um And you can safely ignore the parts of their rating scheme that don't matter or are clearly just for Netflix's benefit. Like, I can survive with my remote not having a Netflix button.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, so is this information that they're trying to use to make manufacturers fight against each other and produce better TVs in a way that services them or is this information they're actually putting out to consumers
1: um so the netflix has a website which we can include that in the show notes too of recommended TVs so if you are TV shopping you could start from netflix's list and have that narrow down which ones you care about um so yeah they are they are making this available on the open web And I think it's also just a set of metrics so that manufacturers could target them and try to make their TVs win at them. But that assumes that Netflix is influential enough.
0: Uh, I mean, I think it could be. This is the kind of thing that if you ask someone, would you buy a TV? You have two TVs with identical sound and picture. One of them can get Netflix in front of you faster than the other one. Which one do you buy? I can almost guarantee you they'd be like, well, if that's the only differentiating feature, because, I mean, a 1080p TV is a 1080p TV, right? Like, yeah, there's not... If you have identical resolutions, then there's very, very little difference in screen quality. I mean, yeah, you have, you know, the how deep the blacks are and the richness of the colors and all. Most people don't care. They're like, I just want this old movie from the eighties to start playing as fast as possible. In which case it doesn't even matter that you have a beautiful. Television.
1: <laughs> and it probably has
0: smooth vision on and you, you're a bad person. You're not. Disabled. <laughs> oh man. That is the, I really hope like a lot of other stupid TV features, that one just goes away. Like it just, it burns out and the manufacturers quietly stop making it an option because it shouldn't even be an option no one wants that
1: (laughs) just like no one apparently wants 3d tv so this isn't the first netflix like quality thing they've worked on because they've all they've often published the the isps that are best for netflix to kind of spur you know bad time warner bad comcast areas to be like come on you know up the speed
0: come on guys (laughs) be cool so you want to uh you want to talk about some of this video game stuff that that has gotten kicked down the road a couple yeah, times. Yeah,
1: we keep we keep punting on this cuz we have these 80 minute episodes and we're like <laughs> we better be done. Um, yeah, there's a couple little just interesting game stories and I know part of our audience doesn't really care about games too bad we're talking about this. Yeah. Um so one of the best games of all time, Zelda the Ocarina of Time, well especially the 3DS remake, but we don't need to rehash that. Um <laughs> is uh you know like any good popular game, there's a speedrun community that is just trying to find new glitches and new ways to uh beat the game faster than ever and, and usually after the 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 first few records are set, the 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 glitches get weirder and weirder and uh people just discover these new breakthroughs. So this Ocarina of Time Speed run that's on Twitch um exploits a really weird glitch when you're crawling through to get some of your early items in the game. And somehow they exploit this to... You know, it always ends up with like this weird little area where suddenly... You are free to travel anywhere because you're inside the wall or something, <laughs> and then they use that to navigate to wherever they need to go, and then they beat the game.
0: Well, and so I I asked uh, our our own Matt Duncan of Bits and Pieces fame, which you can find at sunriserobot.net/slash bits and pieces, uh, and because he he's kind of embedded in this community a little bit, and I asked him like, how would one get there? Like, how do you even figure out that this is possible? And the way he explained it to me was. When people are looking for these kinds of exploits, they have. So the games are running in emulators. You know, these are not running on on consoles almost ever for these speedruns. And they actually have a live feed up of current RAM values. And what they're looking for is what series of actions can I take that will put this certain value into this certain location in memory? Because then that will break the universe. (laughs) Yep. And that just sounds so boring. But that, that so boring. That
1: kind of attention in detail, like the NSA should hire this guy because <laughs> then they'll be like, "All right, wait for this value to show up and then get into that person's smartphone." But so he, pe- please don't hire this guy. <laughs> He beat Ocarina of Time in 17 minutes and 47 seconds, which, you know, if you had to just go through the dial, the damn owl dialogue in the game, you couldn't beat it in 17 minutes. But, of course, he's skipping that. Um, And apparently he's playing the Japanese version of the game because the subtitles go quicker. So, (laughs) you know, any single angle possible to beat the game more quickly.
0: And watching, because, you know, it's Twitch, so up in the corner is like a, a camera pointed at him. Uh, in like a picture-in-picture picture and he looks super bored <laughs> like like he's just like waiting because he's probably seen this stupid little introduction with navi crashing into the fence a billion times like he's he's so just like oh my god it's, it's okay you, you gotta watch it and and it has to count towards your time like i guess most people in the speedrun community they're like yeah if the game has an opening cinematic that's part of your time
1: yeah well if it's unskippable for sure
0: well, because otherwise there'd be a lot of debate about like, well, when did control start? Are you sure you started the clock at the right time? Blah, blur blah, blah. So <laughs> it's just like, man, this is, it's, it, I mean, it's impressive to watch. It's, it's kind of like, uh, you ever see those really elaborate, like domino puzzles that like fall and they yeah. make all kinds of crazy, like, uh, pictures and colorful images and stuff like I. I really like to watch those, and I would really hate to set one up.
1: <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so, continuing Nintendo-related news. Um, apparently, shine Nite- on
0: you crazy diamond.
1: <laughs> um, Nintendo is now going to be partnering with Universal to create theme park rides for Nintendo characters, and I say, bring it on! Yes, please do.
0: Yeah, I'm honestly surprised this has taken this long. Yeah. Like when, I, when I read this article, I just thought, like, huh. That is not yet a thing. I
1: think, uh, I mean, would you think that Nintendo just got burned so bad in the 90s when it tried to partner with other companies? Number one, they created the PlayStation that ended up unsetting them (laughs) in the first place. But also, uh, you know, lest we forget the the Philips CDI (laughs) disasters.
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, there's a, a real difference in how you license your IP because... Uh, they surely having learned from those experiences, they're going to let these things exist and they will probably have really granular approval over things like, Oh no, sorry. The, uh, the Brown in Mario's hair is not quite right. So you can't open this ride until you like repaint the hair, you know, I mean, they, they will probably exercise a tremendous amount of um approval control and then not just you know, they won't build them, you know, the the ride builders and designers will do right. all that.
1: Well I just think like they they got so burned in the nineties, you know, the bad Super Mario Brothers movie, which I, I love to watch even though it's terrible. Um <laughs> you hate watching. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um I have a weird kind of affection for it, even though it's it's really strange. Um and just like after that experience of all these flops and weird partnerships that didn't pan out, that they kind of just like dug in and said, all right, we're just first partying everything. Sorry. Like, yeah, third parties can create games for our systems, but it's going to be increasingly less successful for them. And, uh, I think they're finally like, uh, we can't, we can't keep doing that. We can't just be in our own little club in the corner. We need to open up again and find a way to partner smartly and have a bigger reach. And I don't know that the universal thing is really that, but it's 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 nice to see them try again.
0: Well, it's if if I understand Nintendo correctly, they have like a lot of legacy leadership. Like the people who who are there now have been there for like a long time. Yeah. So, um,
1: what's his name? Iwata was a programmer for them, and yeah, now he's CEO.
0: Yeah. So it's believable that they had you know the the CDI failures and the the kind of like unfortunate unpleasantness with Sony that led to the PlayStation existing. And it's possible that they, they backed up and they were like, okay, we need to get control of our brand back and reestablish it as a reputable brand before we even think about public, you know, partnering with anyone. So, so not necessarily like we will never partner again, but more like we need to so firmly cement that these are quality? Because, I mean, the CDI games happened in, what, like, 92 and 93?
1: That might be a little early, but yeah, I think so.
0: But, I mean, so was Super Mario World was only, like, a couple of years old when those travesties hit the market.
1: Yeah, 94.
0: Yeah, 94, and Super Mario World was 91, 92? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you, that's that's really close together, like, to have massive success immediately followed by massive failure, and to most people in the market they just see this garbage game and they're like Bleh. you know they don't realize <laughs> like oh it's made by a different company for a different thing and it's all separate and nintendo had nothing to do with it so you know they really had to like reestablish like no no Mario's cool and and we can make good games and our, our ip is not stupid yeah i mean i'm glad like i'm i'm a big theme park guy like i cannot wait to check out these rides Are, would you make a trip for this because i mean we're not particularly <laughs> near either of the universal parks here in um, colorado
1: Maybe. I'll I'll wait and see if people think it's really, really cool and then I will consider a trek. So you won't be first in line? I want to make it out to Disney World anyway and and Disneyland in California. I've I've never been to the California park and I I really want to.
0: Yeah, having spent most of my life in Florida, we always thought it was like quaint when people are like, oh, have you been to Disneyland? I was like, ha, I'm not going to travel 2,500 miles to go to a park that's literally like a 20th the size of this park that's across the street
1: <laughs> probably not and i had cedar point so just in terms of raw like thrilling rides not not disney nostalgia because there's zero of that at cedar point but um it was hard to like care about any other theme park you we are like
0: yeah but i have the magnum
1: i have even bigger rides
0: yeah and i mean if you're if you're a roller coaster person or uh, you really like you know thrill rides disney is not your your back
1: that 's not what they do right space mountain isn 't going to do it
0: <laughs> you do not want what they 're selling so this uh this final fantasy fifteen uh tech demo um first it 's spectacular uh, yeah, that being said gorgeous this just smacks so much of Square Enix over the last few years where it 's like Wow, that's cool. Are you ever going to bring it to market? <laughs> yeah, like there. I mean, it's funny that they partnered with Microsoft uh, to to demo this because Microsoft Research, also known for like demoing <laughs> amazing things, I mean, this game will eventually exist, right? Maybe. Right.
1: I mean, it's like teenagers in cars, and then like weird, like it almost looks like a Capcom like game. Like uh, I'm trying to think of the what's the one where you, the guy with the sword and you're like killing demons the whole time.
0: Oh, yeah, cause there's only one Capcom game. Do you mean Devil May Cry?
1: Yeah, I do mean Devil May Cry. <laughs> <laughs> that one game where you, like, have a weapon and you kill things. Um, it looks like the, the gameplay is very action oriented in the, not in this graphics demo, but in the other Final Fantasy 15 stuff they've released. And, uh, yeah, it, this looks gorgeous, but my, my broader question is, can Square make a good RPG anymore? Um, I'd say know, fourteen man. like is a decent MMO if you're into MMOs. But can they make a great JRPG anymore?
0: Well, this, I, so I've read a lot over the years about uh, Square Enix and like where JRPGs have gone and where they're going, and and I have a really deep love for classic like '90s JRPGs because to me they defined the genre. Like I love Fallout. Those games are super fun, but I kind of have to remind myself that they're RPGs because yeah. growing up when we grew up, to me, an RPG is Final Fantasy, you know? Completely. It is, um, uh, oh God, Breath of Fire and like Secret of Mana, like those are what RPGs are. And then toward the end of like my adolescence, it was like, oh, well, and Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy 7 VII and 8 and 9, like they're kind of like modern-y and a little more action-y and okay that's fine but now it seems like square enix has just decided that this hyper stylized hyper action like whole uh kind of packaging like that's what they've decided to turn it into and i'm glad that they evolved because honestly if they just kept doing the same thing for 30 years probably would have gotten tiring i just don't have the same feeling for this new direction as where they were before, but there's nostalgia goggles and blah.
1: Yeah. And I I do have to say that Bethesda and Bioware are just kicking their asses in terms of releasing games often enough, but also really,
0: really good games. Yeah, and you know, I still haven't gotten around to Skyrim. Um, It has come highly recommended from people whose opinions I really trust on this matter, but I just, I know that it's like a (laughs) 900-hour RPG, and I just haven't, been willing oh, to that. like start the, that
1: the newest dragon age is fantastic and uh the is mass origins uh no that's the first one um it's uh god i don't remember <laughs> it'll come to it's you. it zero punctuation would make his colon noise because it's got that but <laughs> um inquisition dragon age huh, inquisition <laughs>
0: <laughs> um yeah i mean again these are all like I'm not avoiding them. I just have to make time for them. In fact, uh, not that long ago, you had let me borrow, uh, oh uh, what is it? Dragon quest seven. I think the DS re-release. Yeah. And, uh, I just never got around to it because I started, <laughs> like I, I made a character. I started, I sat all the way through the opening cinematic and then I was just like crushed under the weight of knowing that dragon quest is literally like a two or 300 hour <laughs> RPG. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, you could probably do the story in twenty-five or thirty so hours. So
1: seven was designed specifically for the DS. It wasn't a re-release, and where uh, I think it's nine. is what, what I gave you because seven was a PS one game, eight was a PS two oh, game. You're right. You and are then correct. Nine was a DS only game, and so they designed it to be easy to put down often. So that,
0: that's good to know. I, I actually that that makes me reconsider picking it up. <laughs>
1: But yeah, it's definitely, you
0: know, potential for dozens and hundreds of hours. Well, so there's a website called uh I think How Long to Beat. Let me I'm going to do some live googling here. How long to beat. Bum, yeah, howlongtobeat.com where you give it the name of a game and then it just tells you based on community feedback how long. So Dragon Quest 9 so, to beat the main story, they're reporting 48 and a half hours. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, that's not that terrible, I guess. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, 48 and a half hours. Uh, plus extras gets you up to 84 hours. Completionist clocks in at a ridiculous 556 and a half hours. <laughs> And I don't even know how they arrive at that number. Are there things where you just have to leave the game running for a week? Like, yeah. how is that a thing?
1: So they, they also color code their reliability for these numbers. And so if you click on the game, you get like how many people they pulled. So there's only four data points for that completionist. Obviously, yes. because of its hundreds of hours, how many data points are you going to get?
0: Yeah, and, and I do <laughs> appreciate that honesty because it says so the average of their reported numbers was 736 hours but then they have a column for rushed at 537 hours someone how do you rush to 537 hours i don't know that
1: is 22 days entire days of playing
0: so, I mean, and that's the, like, when I was, you know, 12, I would have looked at that and been like, hell yes, <laughs> bring it on, but I just, now I just, I can't, I can't, dude, I can't. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, that's why I like playing through Final Fantasy 4 so much, because you can beat that game in 15 hours.
0: And right, isn't that kind of weird? Like, you would rather replay Final Fantasy 4 four times, which is 60 hours, than play one new game that takes <laughs> 60 hours? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's... Maybe you're just hedging your bets like you know the quality, of the experience you'll get.
1: And I just like knowing where every single treasure is and like who who to strip naked before they leave your party.
0: <laughs> oh, Kane is about to get uh, hypnotized <laughs> by Golbez. I should probably take away his spear. <laughs> you just see like before you go
1: to the next room, he's like, guys, why are you taking my armor and my <laughs> clothes? Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Shut up, you're fine. <laughs> Um, so I have to mention this LG thing because I, I want your opinion on this this TV. So we were talking about TVs. I wonder what Netflix would say about this TV. It is four point three millimeters thick. Okay. Now they don't go into the tech specs on this magical wallpaper device they talk a lot about how light it is and how bright the colors are and how you can hold it to the wall with a magnet. You don't even need to like mount it properly. (laughs) And that's, that's kind of cool. Like, but knowing what little I know about the electronics, they have to be somewhere, right? Like, right there. There's probably like a little box on the edge or there's like a bezel on one side or on the bottom or whatever that has all the electronics, right? Like, there's no way the entire device could be that thin.
1: Yeah, there has to be a brick somewhere. And uh, I mean, maybe like if we get fast enough with wireless, wirelessly spitting video at screens, that would be really cool to be like, yeah, there's a box you can hide anywhere within 10 feet that you plug all your ugly wires into.
0: Oh my God, I didn't even think of that. You would have to have a brick because how else would you get video into it? Yeah. Like, there has to be an HDMI port. Is not four point three millimeters thick. Like you would have to at least have that bit of electronics.
1: Yeah.
0: But I, but I mean, it's spectacular. Like.
1: Yeah, I, and it's a good bet because if there's one thing you can count on with technology is that it'll get faster and smaller. So, like, maybe it takes a while to like have these breakthroughs where we solve new problems, like touch or. Um, you know, contextual information about how something's oriented, but things always get faster and smaller. So if, if you're ever using a product and you're like, this is good,
0: but it's just not quite small enough, it's like, oh, they'll fix that. <laughs> just hang on for <laughs> 22 days of gameplay and they'll be right back with you. <laughs> and th- so this is the kind of thing that, you know, like with phones, because you have to hold a phone, there is a very, and it's battery powered, like there's a limit to how thin I want a phone to be. Yeah. Because, As long as I have to hold it in my hand, it needs to have some amount of substance.
1: Yeah, it becomes a liability for the usability of it. Like at a certain point, you're like, ah, I can't
0: even hold this thing. Exactly. TVs do not suffer that problem. You could make it, as far as I'm concerned, I want a TV that is like a paint, where I just paint a section of my wall and any part of the wall that has that paint on it, I can like cast video to.
1: Yeah, it's some like, kind of nano machine paint.
0: That's what I mean. Like, there is no amount of thinness for a display. If all it is is a display, that would be too thin.
1: Well, you just need to get a HoloLens, and then any wall can be a screen.
0: Right. Or we can go full black mirror, and things are just projected directly onto my eyeballs. <laughs> yeah. But, but that's what I mean. You know, until we get to that kind of crazy thing, or if I'm wearing an AR helmet all the time, like, you know, a 4.3 millimeter inch uh, t- or 4.3 millimeter thick TV. I'm like, well, why not four point two? Come on. Like let's <laughs> let's trim that fatty down. Surely there's something you can remove. So
1: thin it can just like slice you if you <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. You drop it and it just cuts through the floor. <laughs> like, oh crap. But I'm 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 all for this because I don't there to me there is just no horizon. Like just keep it going. Yeah. So, I'm checking up on time here. Do you want to uh, you want to talk about this Spotify thing? I feel like Spotify thing is pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, so Spotify announced a whole bunch of stuff probably to preempt uh, you know, Tidal taking their Oh, never mind. Tidal's not going to beat them. But <laughs> um, get yeah, Spotify announced a lot of new stuff including some kind of original content where they're going to get some exclusive stuff from certain artists that you know, sort of like Netflix producing their own shows or um, even iTunes has done this where like not like albums, but like the B side or the the live in the studio version is iTunes only. Um I think Spotify's trying to up their game in that. But another thing they announced was they're gonna have shows or basically podcasts in Spotify. So yeah that's, and video that's very too, interesting. yeah, which video which is like a know.
0: whole no there has been no data that I've seen about that. It's just like also video, but then no more facts. But yeah. the podcast thing, we do know a little bit about. It's network partners. No one knows exactly what that means, and no one knows anything like can you cross that gap? And when I first heard network partners, I was like, oh man, it's only going to be, you know, the super big guys like like the NPR shows that have become super successful, like Serial and Invisibilia and and uh, and Twig show or Twitch shows and and Five by Five and. I listened to a lot of five by five shows and uh, it turns out they didn't ask him. I was like, Oh man, if they do not consider Dan Benjamin and his shows big enough to be in Spotify, like that's, that does not bode well for the other like 50 million podcasts in the world. So basically, Oh good.
1: Oh, just will, will this be like basically super blessed DJs? They, they, you know, sort of like there's only so many radio stations like these are the blessed few that get to be on this little spotlight
0: yeah i mean i'm assuming they're going to start uh small and then open it up because i don't really see a big advantage to not opening it up more unless there's some kind of technological limitation i don't understand um but i mean who knows maybe they really aren't that into podcasts. Maybe they really are timid about these new waters and they don't want to become a generic radio station. They want to be known for music. So they're, they're only going to do this a little bit. Uh, I mean, it makes sense to go with super popular podcasts because all they really want is people to use Spotify more because if you, if you already have Spotify open and you're, you're wrapping up an episode of, you know, the latest twit, then you want to listen to music, you're not going to close it and open a different music app. You'll just use Spotify. You're already there.
1: Yeah. I'm really kind of rooting for Spotify to, to kind of carve out and, and own its space um, with whatever Apple unleashes and, and anyone else that, you know, we're going we to need to talk about title. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um there was another big news article about Spotify, which I'll just give a plug for my Bits and Pieces podcast because we go into detail about it. But um a contract leaked between Sony and Spotify, and it, it kind of just gave irrevocable proof that it really is the labels robbing every robbing artist, not Spotify. That um Spotify just gets bled dry by labels, and then the money disappears, and we don't know what happens to it once it's in the labels.
0: Yeah, which that is... I mean, I'm way further removed from the music business than you are, but that is just so not even a tiny bit surprising that it would, just like when they play shows, you know, if a a 50,000-seat stadium sells out, you think even half of that money goes to the band? Of course not. It goes to the label who then distributes small portions to marketing and to distribution and to promotion and all this other stuff, and then the band maybe gets, you know, their sliver at the bottom. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm excited that more people are recognizing podcasting as a thing. I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this, you're into podcasts, but you probably have some friends that aren't. And, and a lot of people think because they hear that pod word. So they immediately associate it with like the iPod. Right. You know, I think uh, when Leo Laporte was first starting out with Twit, he tried really hard to get people to use netcasts instead of podcasts. And that just did not yeah, catch no on. No one knows what that is. I um, wanted it to. I wanted it so bad.
1: Yeah, and I mean, if Spotify is willing to open it up so that, like, for example, we could list ourselves in there, I would totally welcome that um, because, yeah, it is still a little weird to be like, "Well, get your app, and then like, here's how you subscribe," and like most people, are like, ah, ah, and uh, just to be like, "Oh, I already use Spotify. I just need to search Spotify for you." Okay, done.
0: And th- yeah, I mean, I'm I'm right there with you because is subscribing to a podcast difficult? Absolutely not. Should it be even easier why not like yeah you know, and, if I someone's mean, willing to listen to us then i want it to be as seamless of a subscription process for them as possible like one one click how about half a click how about zero clicks
1: yeah and i mean yeah subscribing to a podcast is not hard at all but doing anything for the first time if you've never done it like you're anticipating it being annoying or hard and so just to be like oh no keep using that thing you already use um is a lot easier of a sell even if the thing you want them to switch to is not hard to do
0: yeah and actually so talking about this i was just thinking i wonder uh how many cuz serial you know largely regarded and there's data to prove it that it's the most successful single podcast ever Um, I wonder how many of their like 30 million listeners or however many it was just listened on the website. Like they just sat in front of their computer, pressed play each week when a new episode came out and then, then they were done just the same way you would watch like a YouTube video or, or, you know, whatever else. Like I, I really cannot imagine 39 million people or whatever it was suddenly, downloading, you know, a podcast app or or finding the podcast app on their their iPhone and then suddenly deciding to subscribe to that one and only one podcast.
1: Yeah, I wonder what the percentage is. Like is it 10% of that 39
0: million that, you know, used an app and subscribed? I I would guess honestly like way over 50. I'm thinking like 60 or 70% listened on the web. So you got like yeah. a tiny little 10%, 20%. And even that, I mean, you're still talking millions of people there. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, it's nothing to sneeze at. I really want
1: to know where that phrase came from.
0: Nothing to sneeze at?
1: Yeah, because it's not like you can just <laughs> voluntarily sneeze whenever you want. So, like, do people just sneeze at things when they're like, oh, that's nothing, not you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> this feels like something Google can help us with. I'm not going to do it live, but I am going to leave myself a note. Nothing to sneeze at re mike is weird
1: (laughs) (laughs) um do we have time for uh, one more topic i think we do
0: we do um can i talk about the void yes
1: talk about the void
0: so the void uh is a a kind of arcade that is going to open in salt lake city utah and it is a full virtual reality games arcade so you basically go in they strap a helmet on you and then you go into a room and that's like the call of duty room or whatever. And like, the, you know, you see like you're fully immersed in the game. Cause you have on this VR headset or you go into like the fantasy room and you play, you know, dragon age or whatever. I, I know these are not VR games. And the fact that this exists, if you've listened to any other episodes of this show, you've probably heard me mention the danger room and the holodeck and this This proves that there are people out there who want that and have money and are really trying to make it happen. And of course, the promo promo videos for VR are always really tough. This one's actually pretty good. Did you get to watch this whole video?
1: No, I'm playing it right now.
0: So the thing that impresses me about this video is they are not afraid to show you what the people using the arcade look like. They have a helmet on. They're holding, you know, like a foam stick or something that represents a sword so that they can make, you know, physical contact with an object. There's, you know, walls that people are actually going around. So, you know, there are real physical obstructions and, and it's, yeah, you're going to look like a giant nerd and you've got to wear a huge battery backpack (laughs) with a big Wi-Fi thing in it. And you're going to look like a complete dork, but you know what? No one will be able to see any of that because everyone in the room with you will also have one of these stupid headsets on. Like I... This so you were talking about like would you maybe or maybe not travel for, for the Nintendo rides? I would travel for this. Oh, like, totally. I'm watching I,
1: the video. This looks awesome. You're right. They have like, like actual like touch screens too. Like, you know, you're you're in a space station and like you're a space marine and like you need to put in a code on the wall and they show that just looks cool.
0: Yeah. No, this I am absolutely one hundred percent sold. And the thing that actually really sells me on this is the fact that they're showing the equipment in the room working means like they're building it now. This isn't like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if this is like, we're opening soon kind of thing. Yeah. And actually it's uh it says as soon as summer of 2016. So, I mean, that is still, you know, it's a year off, but what they're trying to do has never been done before. Like this whole, this is a whole new thing and it's going to be big. Like it's a, there's, I think there's square footage in the article somewhere, and- but it's,
1: I do love that they show a big variety of types of games. It's not like, well, shooter or shooter. Which kind of shooter do you want to shooter? Um (laughs) It's, you know, they show like he's got this like weird plastic thing on strings that's hanging. You're like, what is that? And then it it switches to like the VR mode and it's like, oh, he's holding a lantern and this is like a horror game. He's exploring catacombs.
0: Yeah, and some like big crazy monster jumps out like this. I mean, it just looks so amazing. And you're right about the variety because there's, it would be really, it would only be attractive to a certain subset of gamers if it was just all shooters. Like, would I try it even though I'm not a big shooter game player? Yeah, of course. But you would earn a lot more of my money if I could then walk across the hall and, like, LARP, basically, you know, yeah. and play through, like, a and d campaign or go into another room and they showed, uh, the the, like the fully immersive vehicle where like the the vehicle is on actuators and it spins and it like flips upside down You, you used to actually see these at theme parks i know disney has them universal has them but if you pair that with a vr headset then it looks like you're in the cockpit of a fighter jet or like you're hang gliding or any other unlimited number of crazy things you want to do and they're talking about 30 minute play sessions like that's this is this place is probably gonna cost a fortune.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm into it. Let's whenever they announce like an actual date, let's let's put it on the calendar.
0: Let's go. Road trip? Yep. We could uh we could do lavalier mics and uh do like a live recording from inside. <laughs> yeah. So check out this video is is absolutely the best. This is what it will be like to use our VR facility <laughs> video or VR equipment video I think I've ever seen. And one other thing I uh, I didn't want to interrupt you a second ago but did you notice the uh one of the the scenes they showed was out on like a rainy sidewalk in front of a, an apartment building Yeah. Did you notice that they will have an apparatus that blows like wind and moisture so that you feel weather effects? That is awesome. Right? <laughs> like <laughs> I'm totally this this would have to be irresponsibly expensive before I wouldn't at least try it once. And I hope the people who are building this are not listening, because I don't want them to be like, oh, we could charge that guy double. But it's just, I would have to at least get the experience. You have to
1: imagine that it's not just like the VR tech, but it's like basically an Internet of Things implementation. Because like, oh, this lantern he's holding affects the game world, like shines light in different ways. And so... Yeah, because that has
0: to communicate with your headset, even though it looks like just a big foam block, but there must be some smarts in there.
1: So like what kind of SDK are they growing for like these objects they want to include in their games? Like it seems like they're marrying a lot of different things together.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked. If it's even half as cool as it looks in the video, I'm totally sold. Absolutely. I'll get an annual ticket. All right, you want me to put a bow on this?
1: Yep, let's do it.
0: So you can find the show notes for this episode, including this amazing void video at sunriserobot.net slash flipping slash 68 for this episode. And as always, if we said anything wrong and you want to disagree with us or we said anything right and you want to give us a pat on the back, you can reach out to us easily on Twitter. I am at lines and beta and Mike is at MedWords music. And speaking of podcasts, like we did earlier, um, if you're listening to this in a web player right now, we're happy to have you, but you can make your life even easier by subscribing. So if you're using an iPhone or an, an iPad, there's a built in podcast app, super easy Ah, uh, but there's tons of great free apps as well on iOS and Android. I love Pocket Cast on Android. That's what I use, and uh, I think you're still using Overcast, right? On iOS,
1: yeah, Overcast is great. It's free. Use it.
0: It is. You know, I'm actually going to install it on my iPad because I, I want to see if if you're if you've you've got all the hubbub that that I should <laughs> check out. Um, and then the last thing is, if you want to uh, support us a little more than uh, just a little subscription, there you can check out our Patreon at uh, Patreon.com/sunriserobot. And depending on the level you support us at, you may get an extra special shout out at the end of one or all of our shows. So let me give a special thanks to Bruce Edwards, Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, and Andreas Longa. We love you guys. You help us keep the lights on. Yep. Yep. And we will see you guys and all you other guys next week.